Next Chapter Podcasts. What's up, everybody? We're about to dive into an incredible conversation all about the stories behind this one-of-a-kind record. First, though, I want to give a quick shout-out to all the listeners out there with kids at home who are breathing a sigh of relief now that school is back in person and there's a little peace and quiet in the house finally. But something anyone with kids in their life knows is that there's a lot of stuff going on in the world that doesn't get covered in the classroom. Stuff that can be kind of scary for little ears to hear. Luckily, the 10 News from Next Chapter Podcast and Small But Mighty Media has your back. The 10 News helps kids understand current events in a way that isn't all doom and gloom. It's bite-sized episodes of news and information going beyond the headlines, and they try to give kids context for issues going on in the world along with jokes and trivia. The 10 also features conversations with interesting guests like the voice of Ash Ketchum from Pokemon, astronaut Terry Virts, and even Dr. Anthony Fauci. Season 3 is already rocking and rolling with plenty of bonus content to go with the weekly episodes. So listen to The 10 News wherever you get your podcasts or go to the10news.com to learn more. And now back to the show. The 500, the 500, J.A.M. been walking us down through that 2012 edition, so it ain't nothing to new, hundreds more to go, and in need of a friend, the king of these for Angelo, talking the 500 until the end, talking the 500 until the end. With my man J.M. On the 500, talking the 500 until the end. The song is Kick Out the Jams by MC5 from the 1969 record Kick Out the Jams. It's also number 294 out of 500 on the 500. Howdy, everybody. I'm Josh Adam Myers, the host, the man taking you through this long, long list. Emily, I love you. If you're out there, Emily, our booker, Emily, is uh, is taking a little break for a moment. Uh, I just want to tell her I love her, and uh, she's still working remotely, but uh, I know she listens, and Emily, you are the show. You're everything about the show that makes it keep running, and I can't do this without you. Because if you leave, I can't. How am I going to find Kim Thale? <gasps> Did I just tell us who our guest is? All right, act like you didn't hear that. All right, uh, what dates do I have? This weekend, I'm at the Funny Bone in St. Louis, uh, Thursday through Saturday. Then I will be at uh, Bananas in New Jersey, November 5th. I'll be in Philadelphia, November 6th. November 7th, a huge show here in New York City with the Wolves of Glendale. We're doing the Chelsea Music Hall co-headlining it's gonna be awesome uh november 10th through the 12th i'll be in tampa at side splitters november 20th and the 21st i'll be at the comedy store and if i'll be back in vegas uh november 28th through december 4th at the comedy cellar back at a lot of dates this is awesome december 9th and 10th i'll be at the comedy connection in rhode island and december 11th i'll be in vermont and if you're in texas me and John Carden will be at Plano House of Comedy the 29th through the 31st. That's New Year's Eve weekend. And then I've got, I got like Dominican Republic with Iggy Pop. I've got so much shit coming up. 
big thanks to anybody that came up to me at Skankfest. Uh, Skankfest rules, man. If you haven't been to Skankfest, I just got back from it. That's when my voice is terrible. Uh, I just want to give a big shout out to Big J, Dave, and Lewis, and Rebecca, and Christine, your family. I love you guys. Thank you for having me in the band. And uh, to all the fans that are a fan of this podcast or my new podcast, Himbos with Justin Silver, uh, just keep supporting us and we'll keep putting out good content. And it's time. It's time to get into this thing. Oh, wait. I got to promote the Patreon. Have you subscribed? Five dollars. Five dollars. You don't have five dollars. I know you do. There's a lot of people working on this podcast and they deserve to get paid. We only have minor ad sales because Dark Lord Spotify fucked up all of our momentum and we're trying to rebuild from that. So if you contribute, it goes to a good place. I don't get any of it. The staff does. Peter, Justin, Emily, for $5 or more, you can support the show. You can ask questions to the guests. You get merch. You get this. You get that. You get the videos a little bit early. Patreon.com backslash the 500 podcast. Subscribe to the show's YouTube. Subscribe to my YouTube. YouTube.com backslash Josh Adam Myers. All right. MC5. Influential? I think so. Rock and roll? I think so. Political? I think so. But you know what I know? The guest today is one of my favorite returning guests we've ever had. The guitarist from Soundgarden and a one-time member of the MC5, the one and only Kim Thale. I, I can't tell you guys how much I love having this dude on the podcast. He is one of the coolest dudes uh, I've spoken to. He's so easy to talk to and, and just the best. And if you don't know who he is, just go listen to any Soundgarden record. And when you hear an act shredding, it's that dude. He rules. Rate, review, and most importantly, subscribe to The 500 and listen free on all platforms or anywhere you get your podcasts. Follow me at Josh Adam Myers on all social media. Go to joshadammyers.com for all tickets. Email the podcast at 500podcasts at gmail.com. Follow the Facebook group run by Crazy Evan. And for all things 500, go to the website, the500podcast.com. Well, kick out the jams by the MC5, number 294. Enjoy. One, it's like, I I just, MC5 is such a band that I I feel like everybody is influenced by. Like every single band that I love can look back and say that MC5 is like one of their, one of the, especially this record in general is like, is like a starting off point from them. I mean, just reading about it. It's like to see that they were like that they were like the band before the Stooges that kind of set up the Stooges. And then I, I hear this record and I listen to the Stooges. I'm like, oh, yeah, that totally makes sense. Uh, you have any thoughts on that, Kimmy? Um, Kim's back. <laughs> we got Kim again, dude. Where was I? I don't know. Who knows, dude? He's doing rock and roll shit. Well, before we get into that, how was the Taylor Hawkins uh, memorial? Because I wish I could have been there. It looked incredible. It was it was a. Uh... It was bittersweet. Um, it was, you know, there are aspects that were, you know, certainly con- contemplative and, re- and reflective, and there are aspects that were, you know, a little bit nerve wracking because you, know, you want to do the best you can. Here I'm playing a song that I've played once in five years yeah. that has particular sentimental context for Matt and myself and Ben. And uh, at the same time, you want to be part of the celebration and, 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 and so you're trying to balance, you know, 
positive sentiments with sort of these, uh, you know, more, I guess, maybe not morose, but just, just melancholy. Yeah. And at the same time, <laughs> having to play these songs, familiarize yourself, you know, re-familiarize yourself, do them, do them right. And at the same time, uh, experience the heaviness that that might be for you and your, in my case, my Soundgarden brethren, you know? Yeah. So, so it was, but I think overall, after a couple of beers, I think the celebratory nature started. <laughs> Kick it in. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what did you guys play? I didn't see the, I didn't, somebody, um, the guy that directed it actually directed my TV show, Joel Gallen, and he sent me a set list and, and then I, I looked at it quickly and I just, I've been so busy the last few days. What did you guys end up playing? We played The Day I Tried to Live and oh. Black Hole Sun. And so Matt and I played with four people that we'd never played those, you know, songs with before taylor momson sang and she did a great job man she yeah. nailed it it was it was powerful she her pitching was great i mean chris is one of the best singers you know in rock ever, ever. yeah and, and i i'd probably say that about taylor momson the fact that she nailed some some of uh, our stronger songs vocally and then chris noah selves played bass nice. and you know matt and Matt and Chris and I have been playing together with the third secret. So we kind of had some familiarity with, you know, playing with each other, but we hadn't really done Soundgarden songs. And then of course, Dave and, and Pat Smear. So it was, it, it was fun, but no, these right, guys no. are learning the songs from the record and the yeah. song got through a lot of modification over the years and myself and with Chris uh, we we modified things to accommodate the way the song because it really is. There's aspects of the song that's very studio like, you know. It's mm-hmm. definitely the way it's, the way it's put together. There's it. I guess there's kind of a production and effects heavy components to the song. The song is strong in its own with the chords and the vocal phrasing and the melody, but the recording itself has a lot of different guitar colors and effects or production stuff that sometimes annoys me it could be too much it's what makes kick out the jam so great there isn't yeah. any there's almost yeah, none of that <laughs> none of that it's raw exactly did you, re- did you get rehearsal when you i mean did you guys have like get together during the day i'm assuming you did right you well, had to so we did the day before um okay. So Matt had been on tour with Pearl Jam. He, I know. I, I just saw played. them. I just saw them at Madison Square Garden. Yeah. And I, I mean, he. it's just what a, I mean, such a fun show. It's like, I mean, I was on Mushrooms, so I will say this. <laughs> but when they kicked it into Porch, it felt like Madison Square Garden was literally moving. It could have been the drugs, but it could have been the energy that they're putting off. And I think, like, it's so great to see matt playing with them and just i mean they just gel so great and keep that seattle oh, sound yeah. like spirit alive he brings them you know up here i mean they could be a really good garage band and then you get matt and yeah. he can anticipate he reads other players really well and he anticipates where they're going so that means rather than a jam meandering it's like becomes this really cool thing yeah. and he's really I, the difference between Matt playing with Pearl Jam and some of the drummers they used before are, is is significantly um, ascended in their ability to to be the kind of band they are, which is which is you know 
they're they're powerful they're earnest they're and they and they do have this jammy raw garage band thing to them and yeah. matt can really make that sound you know just just uh super, super you know really professional at the same time being uh, bringing out the elements of five guys who enjoy playing the music together. You know? Oh, for sure. And, and you can tell, man, he's having fun. And they're a band that like really does seem like, like you said, it's, it's like, like they're like rock and roll fish. I know that sounds weird, but, but their fans are just, I met the producer of one of my radio shows has seen them 88 times live. And you're just like, people are going and traveling to follow them. And I've seen them a couple times and I did a festival with them. I did Bonnaroo and then I saw them in LA and then I went on a whim at, I think it was two Sundays ago. And I was like, I'm never going to miss a Pearl Jam show in my area ever. That was so much fun. So it's definitely an evening, you know, like you said, like the dead or, yeah. um, or fish it's yeah, exactly. They're, they're kind of playing with you and not at you, you know, exactly. Exactly. For you. And yeah, they are really good that way. You know, Matt was, Matt and I were talking about this, about the different elements of Soundgarden and, and Matt certainly brought I mean, that, that kind of professionalism as an ability and his ability to read, uh, you know, uh, a little bit, we'll, and this relates to the MC5 in that, that element that's a little bit looser and uh, uh, spontaneous and wild. Certainly, those components are present with Ben and myself, and they were there with Hiro Yamamoto, and sometimes with Chris. But Matt's ability to read other players and anticipate where they're going keeps it together and makes it. Yeah, it brings it in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Otherwise, we'd just be a band falling down the stairs, you know? Yeah, but that would rule, dude. I'd love to hear Soundgarden <laughs> falling down the stairs, dude. That would just, rule. I just like my guitar solo. <laughs> <laughs> just go, dude. Just go. <laughs> Um, all right, MC5. Let's let's get into this. We have so much to talk about, and and I'm so glad you're you're back, man. And I'm glad you're back doing a record that that I mean, I know you've jammed with them, and we've got we'll get into all of that. But take me back, like I, like like you know, when did you first hear of the MC5? How did you get into them? What was it like? All the experiences. Take me from the start. Um. <laughs> I love the angles with you. You we we I see below you. I see above you. Below me, <laughs> you, you know what they say about selfies. You know, always up, <laughs> always up, dude. But I feel like I'm doing. I feel like I'm zooming with my spiritual guide right now. It's like I'm present. <laughs> I am here. I have my crystals over there. Uh, oddly, and I I can remember this pretty clearly, which is kind of strange. But uh, my introduction to hard rock would have been something like Day Tripper by the Beatles, right? Or or, or Come Together or Helter Skelter. I love Day Tripper, you know, things like Great that. Song. I feel fine with feedback. You know, one of the first recordings of feedback. Yeah. Thought, what does that sound at the beginning? Yes. So eventually, when you listen to the radio, the songs you like are things like Elton John, Chicago. That's what you hear on Top 40 radio in the early and mid 70s. And then I hear the song Rock Roll All Night. And I go, and I go, and they go, that's cool. And I go look for that album in the record racks and i had no idea what these guys looked like i just loved the song rocker all night i thought it was bachman turner overdrive actually and then i heard the dj say it was kiss and i went and looked at the <laughs> album at, at at uh lowe's records yeah and i looked at that and go what is this and it was like alice cooper and david bowie only you know a bunch of them 
and bought the album cool pictures and more three chord hard rock and yeah and i love that band so i read about kiss you know just i'm sure like a lot of kids did get every magazine that had pictures of kiss in it like circus and pit parader and cream but cream had some cool writing you know they had lester bangs and yeah like yeah 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 so they would write about kiss and they would talk about bands like the new york dolls and they'd say you know that kind of you know, the poofed hair the makeup and they would talk about the MC5 and the Stooges, this, these Detroit bands that had that kind of simple three-chord power. I thought, huh, this is interesting. I've never heard of these bands. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't find their records. They're all out of print. Mid-70s, near Dolls, MC5, Stooges, all out of print. Then punk rock happens, 76, 77. Mm-hmm. And, it, and the Pistols get all this news attention. So I'm hearing about punk rock from TV more than I am from radio because radio isn't playing it. And I think this is cool. It's, it's aggressive. The chords are distorted, three chords, just like I learned love with, you know, Kiss. Um, and I start getting to punk rock. When I start reading about punk rock in, in, in Cream or whatever, again, the references to the MC5 and the Stooges as being these proto-punk, you know, um, uh, the, the progenitors of, of, of punk rock. So I thought, yeah. okay, where can I get these? Go to record stores. The guy would look it up in a catalog. Oh, they're out of print. So I eventually have a friend's big brother direct me to used record stores. Go to a used record store and I find Kick Out the Jams. I buy it because I want to hear about this band that somehow is connecting, is influencing punk rock, but then also influence this band Kiss that, that, that appealed to my teenage sensibilities yeah um and i hear kick out the jams actually it, it, it took a while for me to buy the album because i needed money and i was too young and and i had to save up lunch money i had to like not eat lunch school for like <laughs> and at the end of a week or two i can go buy an album yeah how much are albums back then just to give me an idea i want to know because mine were like 18 I, they were five bucks i i feel like I feel like everything was either ten ninety nine or eighteen dollars, and I, and I when I was really really getting into tapes because I never really got records. It was it was tapes uh, and then yeah, eventually yeah. CDs. This would have been mid to late seventies, and records could have been, you know, anywhere from four ninety nine to six something. You know, in the in so lunch school lunch was fifty cents a day, mm-hmm. ten days and. I, I'm I'm in an album. Yeah, we used to do that with cigarettes too. It was like we'd we'd go around we'd go around Germantown Commons and ask people, "Can I borrow twenty five cents so I can call my parents so they can pick me up?" And they'd be like, "Yeah." And then we'd just get our two twenty five and we'd buy a pack of Marlboro Reds and we'd share it. Wow, in the late seventies, you can get cigarettes in Chicago for seventy five cents. What? <laughs> That's pretty crazy. Two twenty five. I remember that too. That but then the 80s, right? in New York, in New York, I don't smoke anymore, but I think they're about 15, 16 a pack right now. Wow. Yeah. And yeah, that's, I, that, I quit smoking a few years ago. Yeah. That good for us. I vape, which I need to stop. Probably worse. But, you know, I, I like, you know, I inhale like a Fruit Loop cereal milk flavor into my lungs and it's not that bad. <laughs> <laughs> it's enjoyable. <laughs> All right. So you were saying, so you'd save up for the record. And what did you get? You got kick out the jams? At the used record yeah, store? before that. Yeah. So I can't hear the record. It's not on radio. It's not on TV. I can't afford it yet, but I know where it is or whatever. Um, in my 
I was in an alternative school program, not the one where you. I mean, <laughs> not, not the one where here's your last chance to stay in school. It yeah. was it was kind of a progressive program, not that unlike Evergreen State College in Olympia, Washington. You know where you a, 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 a town and a college culture which generated you know bands like Beat Happening and 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 Nirvana and stuff like that. Yeah, so our high school is kind of like that. A lot of graduates at high school end up going to moving to Olympia, Washington. But one of the we had a room that had a four square court, like just some guys that put some tape on the floor, and it was kind of like the gym, but it had like books and records in it, and people donated their albums and their books. It was kind of like a library gym, and I go in there and look at the records. And it was all Grateful Dead, like Terrapin Station, Blada. There was there's kind of like a smart hippie vibe to it and yeah maybe a little bit of a doodle delinquent thing <laughs> a lot of a lot of utopia todd rundgren and grateful dead and i could listen to a few utopia songs you know if they had a cool guitar part sure There's an album called heavy metal it was a compilation and on it had alice cooper vanilla fudge steppenwolf i like that song born to be born to be wild or you can actually hear that on the radio all the time and then I had the MC5 kick out the jam. So here it is. The band I've been reading about, the band whose record I can't find. And I, I just go to listen to that song and boom. It was, it was powerful. It was three chords. It was crazy. It sounded like, you know, it, it, just, it, it, is, it was wild. It was, it was chaotic. It was just had all this energy and heaviness. And I thought, heavy metal, huh? I like this. I like heavy metal. That's what I'm into. <laughs> <laughs> and it was my favorite song on the album. And, you know, it, it had great tracks on it, Deep Purple and Alice Cooper and everything, Steppenwolf. I liked that song. And then eventually I didn't, <clears throat> I saved up my lunch money for a couple of weeks and got to buy it. And then I had some friends, Big Brother, point out to me that, oh, that's not the original release. It doesn't have the liner notes from John Sinclair. I yeah. liner notes, so do I need that? Because yeah, he talks about kicking out the jazz motherfuckers and dope guns and and like fucking in the streets. I'm like, ha, huh, that'd be cool to get. And also they edited the track, kick out the jams. It's supposed to say kick out the jams, motherfuckers. But your version says kick out the jams, brothers and sisters. So that's <laughs> lame. You gotta find that. That is lame. Song. Yeah, oh, dude. <laughs> so my search began again. And I, oh no. And, and I, and I had to abstain from lunch for another two weeks. <laughs> you're, you're just getting emaciated. <laughs> this, just everybody's like, is everything all right with Kim? Can we, should we contact uh, Child Protective Services? I feel like he hasn't eaten in months. <laughs> you're a, a hunger strike. <laughs> uh, so I, so you say, did you save up? Did you, and did you get, did you finally get the edited version? How long did that take? No, I got the, yeah, the unedited version. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that probably it, it may have been another year because I got I got the gist of this album and, and I still need to explore other MC5 albums and Stooges. I was still looking for I think the first Stooges album I got was Funhouse. But <clears throat> eventually, I think I got a job. And after I saved up to buy an amp, um, the rest of the money went to I think I was able to find a record store that did trade ins. You know, I'm part of that used store and I, and I, and I found the copy that had. The uh, kick out the jams, motherfuckers. I traded it in. Hey, this is Dewey Halpas, host of Peer Pleasure on the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Join me each week as I explore another long form conversation with one of your favorite musicians, actors, 
comedians, or creatives. From Chino Moreno of the Deftones, John Gorley of Portugal the Man, to Fat Mike from NoFX, and Ian Mackay from Fugazi and Minor Threat, we go all over the map. From Fallout Boy to Slayer, peer pleasure has it all. Check us out now on Sound Talent Media. Hey, what's up? My name's Lurk, and I'm the host of Lamb Goat's Van Flip Podcast. Every week, I have in-depth conversations with bands from all over the scene, big and small. We also like to keep our finger on the pulse and showcase up-and-coming bands on the show as well. So come check out Lamb Goat's Van Flip Podcast. So, 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 because I, I just don't know, because, like, I'm born in 79. Punk had already been out by the time I really started getting into music. I, you know, and like I, I think I said on the last one, it's like I, I, I immediately really jumped into music with like Maiden just because of the imagery and I thought it was cool. And then Guns N' Roses was when it really took off. So I, I missed the whole punk movement. So for this, when you for someone that's already digging on what punk is doing, like how important are these bands to everything else? Because it's like there's to see and hear the influences that you mentioned before. I mean is is this without this band is there no sex pistols is there no minor threat you know what i mean there there definitely is no sex pistols without the new york dolls i mean the, the there is a musical lineage between the dolls and the sex pistols it, it's it's what's interesting about that is that that 80s uh hollywood glam metal they often cite the dolls as part of their lineage and i think when you talk about the hairspray and the poofed hair and the spandex and and there's definitely a tie from the dolls to 80s la glam yeah and that's mostly about the look and the attitude but the uh that kind of slashing uh punky dirty grimy of uh, musical tradition and there's there's other connections too uh, if you listen to steve jones guitar solos it's it's very uh, inspired by johnny thunders and the dolls and they shared Malcolm McLaren. McLaren, I believe at some point had, uh, he'd worked with the dolls. I think he managed them. Then he ended up, you know, ending up back in England and and was managing the pistols, right? Got them together. But he had worked with the dolls, went back to England, worked with the pistols. And you can kind of see that he probably had them listen to, <laughs> listen to it too much too soon and end up sure. in the first dolls album. There's definitely a thing there if, if you if you listen to the first Dolls album of Pistols, um, and as a matter of fact, I think Johnny Thunders, the lead guitarist of the Dolls, and the Heartbreakers were on that Anarchy in the UK tour, right? So that was what the Pistols, the Clash. Oh wow! Um, I think it was the Heartbreakers, or maybe the Voidoids, but you know, I think it was the Heartbreakers. So and that was the American band that was on it. I believe it was the Heartbreakers. Um, if, if my memory is serving correct, there is some connection there. I know the Voidoids, Richard Hell played with Johnny Thunders and he was in the Heartbreakers too. So there's, there could be some conflation going on. Sure. But so, cool. so what I was going to say is like, because for a lot of people, you know, especially, I'm not going to talk about Gen Z. I'm just talking about people my age. A lot of people don't know who MC5 is. They kind of remain this like, like deep cut. 
Uh, but they're they're almost essential listening as a music fan of yeah. of so much shit. So they're like they're like we call this like Dave Attell is like a comics comic. Like MC Five yeah. is like a band's band. Why? Yeah. Why are yeah. they so highly regarded by musicians? Be, it's, you know, they they preceded and influenced heavy metal and punk rock and even Bruce Springsteen and. That, that's a little sideways one, but the, what is it? Here, I'm going to look, look this up. The, the, guy who, the guy who produced a lot of Springsteen records. He, um, I, oh, shit. I know it because I was just fucking, he just came out with a book. Uh, John, John Landau. That's Yeah, yeah, it's, it's Landau. Um, yeah, dude, I was right. I think <laughs> this podcast's working. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think he produced... Um, Back in the USA, the second MC5 album. Let me look look it up. Uh, Let me see if I have any of the facts because I got a bunch of shit here. I got their. Uh, so this is the produce this the second MC5 back in the USA. I think it was John Landau because we already did that record. Yeah, it was. Yeah, Dude, Landau. I rule. Yep. yep. I rule. <laughs> Dude, this is making me a music aficionado guy. Like so it's he, crazy. He produced that second album. Yeah, and produced a bunch of Springsteen, right? And yes, I think he's involved in some of the writing and arranging. There's a song on MC5 second album uh, back in the USA. The song is called "Shaking Street." It's written yeah. by Fred Sonic Smith, the one of the two great guitars for the MC5, uh-huh. and it's sung by him. So they have a lead singer, Rob Tyner, and they get Fred Sonic Smith sings his song, and it's the voice sounds different. And the lyrics, just check out the lyrics for that. It's got a lot of, you know, street nicknames for characters, you know, like, I don't know, Turkey Neck Sue, Rubber Pencil Joe, things like that. And that's also very Springsteen-like, you know, just just street nicknames. And that song has a lot of that. It's got this, this kind of bell-like shimmer to some of the instrumentation and the production, which is also very Springsteen-like. It makes me think of, like, Born to Run or or... Asbury Park. And I think that's a Landau connection. I think specifically with that song, there's a component to it that's very street, which is very punk, but it's also very, it's, it's also very Springsteen, you know, street, neighborhood, things like that. And I think this is why the MC5 is important because they connected to so many things. And, and yeah, I mean, <laughs> listen to their second album, that song, Shaking Street, and he's like, yeah, this could be, I can't believe Springsteen didn't do it. And he probably did. He probably did cover it sometime. Yeah. But, yeah, be, before, I mean, that first MC5 album came out, what, 68, 69? And, and there were there had been some heavy stuff. There had been Zeppelin and everything. But Zeppelin was kind of more of this heavy arena blues thing. Mm-hmm. The term heavy metal was kind of loose. I mean, when Sabbath came out, uh, they were referred to as acid rock and not heavy metal. It, you know, it kind of took a while for that term to sit in. But the MC5 playing around the, in the mid to late 60s, definitely that heaviness and the wildness connected, uh, the sort of wildness and the street level lyrics connected to punk and, and some of the heaviness and some of the uh, elements of musical proficiency they showed in later albums are kind of metal-like. Um, so that's why I think they're really important in, in, in guitar rock. And they're often cited by, by you know, hard rock guitars and metal and punk guys. So 
They're very they, important for that. I can't believe they're not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, but there is a difference from what journalists understand about rock music and what musicians understand about rock music. For, yeah. No, for, for sure. For sure. I mean, there's so many bands that should be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. There's so yeah. many. Um, but but this you want to know like, about rock, ask, 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 uh, ask, definitely ask a rock player or guitars. Oh, no, this is the, I, I mean, there's, we did this record, you know, we not, we did this record. We did, uh, was it Born in the USA? The, not Born in the USA, whatever, the Back in the USA. We did yeah. that a few months ago and that was my introduction. I remember listening to that and, and being like, yeah, this is a good rock and roll record, but it still didn't make sense to me of why there, of why this, because it, it didn't have the power and the rawness of yeah. this record. Now you mentioned heavy metal, I don't think I would consider this. I would. You said Sabbath. Sabbath is heavy metal, and what I my interpretation of what heavy metal is. I don't yeah. think this is. This is just like this is almost like because even dude they covered a Chuck Berry song on back in the USA. So yeah. it's just like old school rock and roll, the original fucking uh, Sun Records type shit, but just faster and with you know the More the, the heavier. Yeah. Um, well, if you're yeah, I guess if, if if you're if you're cutting your teeth on Iron Maiden and you go back and hear back in the USA, yeah, it may not seem metal like. By the way, Maiden played Seattle last night. My girlfriend went to the show. Really? Yeah. Flamethrower arm. Did she talk about that? He comes yeah. out. He's like, Send me a video of Eddie on the you know, coming out on stage. But yeah, but see, so I didn't have to go back as far. There's there's yet to be a Maiden or, or a priest. So. So the punk rock's coming out, and I could see the connection there. A song like "Call Me uh, Call Me Animal" to me was very heavy, just in, in, in groove and rhythm. And then a song "High School," it's in the movie, it's in the soundtrack to Rock and Roll High School, starring yeah. the Ramones. And you could hear that song, and it's got a pop element, but it's got a very punk element. I mean, who's writing about high school? You know, I mean, rock guys. You know, at that point in time, in the '60s and early '70s there was kind of like a hippie thing. And the MC5 and Studios were not hippies. And the Velvet Underground were not hippies. And the Dolls weren't hippies. So, you know, pop, there's a, some of that was in pop music, but also that album-oriented rock. A lot of the bands kind of had this hippie thing, this psychedelic thing. And not the cool psychedelic that you'd get with some Hawkwind or, or Sabbath, but kind of jangly stuff. And then there's this prod stuff started happening like yes and king crimson that stuff was great especially for you know musician heads and stuff but the mc5 the students weren't any of that they were stripped down they were lean they they weren't about flower power and they weren't about um this sort of proggy uh element which was becoming becoming you know popular with uh with musicians and that's why what they did is connected to the heavy metal that would come out in the seventies, like like Kiss or Nugent or Aerosmith. By the way, Nugent, Nugent, yeah. Amber, Dukes are contemporaries in the MC5 and the Studios in Detroit. But you mentioned, um, but you mentioned hippies. Like I know they're not hippies, no. but from my understanding, they're in the cars, they're, they're in they're, motors, and, but and they're the also, cars. yeah, for sure. But they're also a very political band. Am I yes. right? Yes, and that's also a component about much of early punk. You know, when you hear the Pistols or the Dead Kennedys, definitely being political was an important part of that. And they were. So you brought up Back in the USA, and you're, I could see that. There is, when I first heard it, it was the second album I heard from them. 
yeah, it wasn't as wild as Kick Out the Jams. It wasn't as distorted. But there are some really aggressive, heavy, meaty riffs like like Call Me Animal and, and, yeah. and Looking at You. But Kick Out the Jams, on the other hand, had this looseness and this element of that was, you know, element of chaos. And, and a lot of the playing was wild. It was recorded live. And that has these, the elements that you could see in punk rock that sort of, uh, careening out of control, chaotic energy, really emphasizing the energy over, uh, over just proficient performance, but they were that. I mean, Wayne Kramer is like a guitar teacher in the way he approaches guitar. Fred Sonic Smith was a lot looser and wilder. Um, they both, it's, it's almost as if Wayne Kramer took the technical aspect of, of Hendrix and, and Fred Sonic Smith took the feedback, um, light your guitar and fire element of Hendrix. And they put them together and just worked with the MC5. Yeah. So that, that's why I think they're important because, and as I said, I learned about them reading about Kiss. It's like, here's where Kiss comes from. And, and, you know, and they would refer to Stooges and Dolls and MC5. All right, guys, what a great episode. I would say it rules. And you're going to get right back into it. But before we do, I want to take a second to say that once you're done listening to this, I have the perfect show for you to listen to next. From Next Chapter Podcast comes an amazing re-envisioning of the classic works of William Shakespeare called Play On. You may think you know all the plays back to front, but I'm telling you this is the bard like you've never heard him before. There's immersive sound design and beautiful original music, plus big-name actors like Keith David and Amy Brenneman. And the language and settings have been updated by award-winning modern playwrights to help make them just as relevant today as they were hundreds of years ago. The latest series, Adapting Henry V, is just wrapping up, and if you're a fan of the new Game of Thrones or Lord of the Rings shows, you have to hear this. It's about a medieval warrior king fighting huge battles against impossible odds. What more do you want? So be sure to check out Play On Podcast wherever you get your pods or go to ncpodcast.com to learn more. And now let's start the show. So what about what about uh, the, the, the MC5 and the Seattle sound? Like how, how much do you think that this band influenced what was going on in the music scene in the 90s? Uh, definitely. You know, most journalists reference the Stooges, like the band Green River, was often compared to the Stooges. I think because Mark had some physical and facial characteristics that maybe were reminiscent of Iggy Pop. But the Green River, I didn't think were Stooges-like at all. I thought they were very much like the, they had strong elements of the Dead Boys, especially on the album Dry as a Bone. And Mud Honey, they, I, the guys at Sub Pop marketed Mud Honey as being Stooges influenced. Like, yeah, big, loud, fuzzy guitars, but musically, it didn't have that kind of repetitive, haunting Stooges groove. There was something else. Uh, so there were elements of MC5 and, and the Dead Boys and, and Blue Cheer in what, say, Mud Honey or Green River were doing. Uh, there were elements of the MC5 and what Soundgarden was doing more so than the Stooges or the Dolls. So I would say the MC5 played a huge factor in influencing the energy, looseness, and wildness of many of the Seattle bands. Certainly, when I, like Nirvana, I see more MC5 in Nirvana. Yeah, I see that. 
Um, but the fact that the students were co constantly referenced, I think may have just been a tendency for journalists to repeat what was written in the press, in, you know, in the, in the, in the press release. Yeah. And the sub pop guys, well, Bruce Pavitt would reference the Stooges a lot, but if you know, if you know the Stooges and you listen to Mud, Honey or Green River or, or Tad or, or Nirvana, you're not going to hear much of that there. You will hear more MC5 or, or, or Blue Cheer or something. I definitely hear this. I definitely hear, you know, like Nirvana. Nirvana with the simplicity of the chords, you know, like three or four chords. Cause that's how I learned how to play guitar. I learned how to yeah. play guitar playing Nirvana power chords. And it was so easy. Uh, and I think, I think even up to their, you know, their, their second major label release with in utero, you still kind of hear MC five, yeah. but let's, but bringing it back to, to Soundgarden, like, you know, I don't know if I hear it so much in the later records, no. but 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 like, how how has this band influenced your playing, your writing, all of that? And did, did did you guys ever like have a moment where you're like, this sounds like that, or I'm writing in the style of to while doing a jam session? I think it had to do with the way I played. Um, Matt and I were having this conversation just two days ago. The, the elements in our band, Jack and Dino, the, the producer who produced early Nirvana and Soundgarden, Mudhoney, yeah. and Tad, he had said back in the 80s when Hero was still in our band, he said, Matt makes you guys sound professional. Now, Jack had played with Matt in Skinyard. They were in a band together. He goes, Matt is that kind of a player. He'll make you sound professional. He goes, Chris is going to make you guys commercial because of that voice and his, his sense of melody. Plus, and I didn't understand it then. I guess, I guess he's good looking. You, know, so. <laughs> you, you guys were buddies. So you probably just made fun of him and be like, shut up, you ugly yeah, motherfucker. I, I just didn't see that until your, your, your friend's girlfriend say something. I was like, he's kind of So. <laughs> Matt makes you guys professional. Chris makes you guys commercial. You and Hero make the band arty. And then that was extended when Hero left. When we got Ben in the band, Jack reiterated that it's the same formula. You guys are the arty ones who do all the, you know, the, the weird kind of noisy, goofy things. And Matt makes, makes everything sound good and makes it sound like, you know, this is a professional band. And Chris makes it something that people enjoy hearing and, and perhaps perhaps sellable for record companies. Sure, no, 100%. 100%. So the MC5 had that component. They got a great singer, a soulful singer, Rob Tyner. And that's, when you said Nirvana, that's the first thing I thought about. Because the difference between, the difference between much of punk rock in the late 70s and, and early 80s is that it was emphasized, they would emphasize the energy, the, the composition of songs, you know, louder, shorter, faster, louder. You know? Yeah. And you get Kurt, who certainly comes from punk rock, as he comes from classic, classic rock, as do the Soundgarden guys, but he can sing. He's got quite a voice and quite an ear for melody. That's the MC5. They have a great singer and a soulful singer, beautiful voice, powerful voice. And then they have these raw guitar riffs, you know? And that first album, they play like they're on acid and drunk. It's, it, it's, 
it's very real and it's very heavy. And it's the, the, an element that I often find missing from rock is wildness and, and chaos. I think it's there in punk rock. I think it's in some metal bands. A lot of metal bands emphasize proficiency, like Iron Maiden proficiency. Oh my God, yeah. Goals, all the notes in the right parts. And that's a, that's a part of Soundgarden. It's like, otherwise we, we wouldn't be doing things in weird tunings and weird time signatures. But there's this other part that Ben and I would bring to the table. And that's that part we would have gotten from listening to, you know, MC5 or, 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 or uh, uh, the Dead Boys or Black Flag or, or, or the Meat Puppets. And that's that wildness that it, it's a combination of inability to play the same riff twice <laughs> and, and also a lack of desire to do so because of the short attention span. So if you take these kind of wild chaotic elements and you, you, you balance them with say the, the melodic and technical abilities of say a Rob Tyner or Chris Cornell or, or the very scholastic and energetic abilities of, of Wayne Kramer on guitar. And then you have this, this looser, wilder guitarist, your Fred Sonic Smith, and you balance these elements. That first album is, leads more toward chaos and wild. Yeah. Kick out, uh, kick out the jams. The one, and, and I think you're correct. Back in the USA, seems a little bit more organized, a little bit cleaner. So Yeah, very and, much. Yeah. Welcome to us talking about our podcast for a minute. What's the name of that podcast? That's Axe to Grind. Uh, and right now you're going to be getting a little a little taste of it, right down to the shaking microphone and all. <laughs> and my name's Bob. And my name's Patrick. And usually we're joined by Tom. Tom's the best. Tom has a real grown-up job that requires him to be at work. But we talk about decidedly not-so-grown-up things like... Hardcore music and things that people that like hardcore music tend to like. So that could be the latest shows, uh, revisiting classic material, talking about the new classics, um, all the little dorm room nonsense that you imagine from a niche music podcast that, that you either love, want to love, or hate. Yeah, imagine all the emotions that you have towards a genre that, that uh, has impacted your life. Uh, and then condense them down to an hour to two hours a week. So triangulate your speakers. Think about jumping off the bed, singing along, dancing like an idiot, and listen to Axe Grind Podcast. Ever wonder what a punch from Elton John feels like? Or how you cope with having turned down the chance to be in Nirvana? Or what signal Keith Richards gives when he wants you to get the hell out of his hotel room? Fans of Too Much Effing Perspective don't have to wonder, because they've heard these exact stories and a jillion others on our podcast. I'm Alex Hoffman, former tour manager for Radiohead. And I'm musician and comedy writer Alan Keller. On the TMEP show, we get guests like Nancy Wilson from Heart, Jeremiah Freights from the Lumineers, and Modern Family's Julie Bowen to tell us things they may have only shared with their therapist, clergy, or a TMZ stringer. So join us on Too Much Effing Perspective. That's E-F-F-I-N-G Perspective. The only podcast you crank up to 11. And But they were both those bands. I mean, back in the USA, kind of, I definitely hear, I definitely hear what I learned from Wayne Kramer playing with him with the MC50 tour, you know, well, the past few years. That first album, when we isolated some of the tracks to learn the songs, 
you can hear what Fred's playing. And there's, that's definitely a Fred Sonic Smith record uh, in, in what's going on. I think Soundgarden had those elements. I think Nirvana had those elements. Uh, there is some of that punk rock. There is some of the, uh, the, the proficiency uh, and progressive elements you might find in, in metal. And I think balancing those, like a lot of my favorite bands do that. They, they have those components. And it may have been something I learned from the MC5. It may have just been the beautiful happenstance that a guy like Matt wanted to play with me and Hero or, or the me and Hero formed a band with Chris or, you know? Yeah. Yeah, no, I get it. I, I love how you keep saying the wildness of this record. We, you know, I have a, one of my producers gets me this huge list of facts and quotes and uh, it has Wayne Kramer saying, and, and I heard this re-listening to this record today after reading this, he just says that we were inconsistent. All of a sudden, this was the night. It was a lot of pressure for us to be under. I hear it every time I listen to this record. I hear me making clumsy mistakes on guitar. I hear Dennis all over on the tempos. I hear Rob not quite, not quite in the perfect voice he was capable of. But I think, but like you said, it doesn't, I don't hear it. I just hear a fucking band going for it. And yeah. it, you can feel the energy in there. Like, I, um, go ahead. That's Producers don't like that, and I can. I, <laughs> and I know from playing with Wayne and his abilities, technically, that he strays away from that. I stray toward that. Yeah. And back in USA, sounds like a, a producer got a hold of the MC5. You know what I mean? Yes, for sure, dude, for sure. And, and and that's nothing wrong with it. it. Like I said, it's not a bad record. No, I. Yeah, and I listened to that record first because it was on the list uh, before this one because obviously this one's much more important. And I was able to be like, oh, no, I dig this and I see it and I feel it and it made me want to go and listen to this. And I did. I didn't study it like I did now. Uh, and I was like, okay, now I get it. And I think that if they put out they put out the second record first and this second, I don't know if the band does, gets as much as uh, right. of all the love. This is, this yeah. is a way to introduce them. They are not a studio band. They are, it's everything. It's the elements. It's that's what really makes them special because from my understanding, they don't have many more records after this. Am I right? They have high time and high time is, it doesn't have the, the glisten that back in USA has. It doesn't have the wildness that, that um, kick, kick up the dance has, but it has a lot of really cool songs, a lot of you know great grooves. Uh, that I was just trying to try, something you just said. Um, I, I I'll, I'll, I'll come back to there. Something you just said that reminded me about something about 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 the producer. Uh, there, there seems it, it definitely there, Wayne definitely has that uh, sensibility as both a guitarist and, and producer and. The MC5 wouldn't work without that leadership that, that Wayne brought to it. But you're also right about the chronology of the releases. There are a number of great punk rock bands whose first album was crazy and wild and noisy because they were on a budget. Maybe they, they self-produced it. And then they get popular and a producer comes in or they have more money to spend. And the second record is a little bit slicker but yeah. the music and songwriting gets better. And I, I think about the Meat Puppets. The Meat Puppets' first album is so much like Kick Out the Jams in its 
wildness and looseness. And I love that record. And their second album comes out. It sounds like they've been listening to a lot of Neil Young and Grateful Dead and Jimi Hendrix, but it's an amazing record. It's beautiful. And it's the, the, the playing's tighter and the production's tighter, but both records are great. And the MC5 are like that. You know, there's so many punk rock bands that did that. The first album's recorded on a budget. The next album, they spend a little bit more time in writing and recording. And But it, it, it seems to work. And and you're right. If it had been flipped, it, it, it would yeah, be less know. interesting. Yeah, I think this is a good debut. I think this captures everything that makes this band special. Like, that, everything that, that Wayne said in that quote is because it's not like dude it does it's if it was terrible they wouldn't release it you know what right. i mean it was good enough they were tight enough and even you could probably feel the nerves that they're having knowing they're recording this as their debut because and that's what makes them push even harder you know like did, did you ever have like a show with soundgarden where it was like it was make or break in a sense and you had to go for it and you guys excelled past just how you normally had played there there definitely were some shows that carried more weight perhaps or perhaps it was who we were playing with or opening for perhaps it was the fact it was on tv or it's being televised live or it was being recorded or there's some record company folks coming to the to the gig and we're yeah. young <laughs> or we're playing with a band we really love and there's definitely that weight and pressure and we always i believe almost always <laughs> hit it you know yeah it, there there's you know you can kind of plot performance on a bell curve against stress and it's been done and as 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 stress increases your performance increases and it gets a certain point where you get too much stress and your performance starts going down but it's you know it's shaped like a bell right yeah, well mm-hmm. look, i can't draw a bell here but yeah, i man, see it i see the bell i see it <laughs> so you, with you can perform with stress and hit this level of performance, you can have way more stress, but you're you're gonna have the same the performance, but too much stress. Yeah. So we would get all this fucking stress and we and we and we kill it. And so it, it it's probably just a combination of the way we work together. I think rather than taking all that stress and anxiety and weight and and crumbling, we would kind of fight and it, it would come out. It'd be like we, bam. We would just get. It was just kind of the nature of the personality of the guys in the band. We'd get angrier, or just, or just, just you know, outwardly more aggressive rather than like withdraw and be a. Did and you, so it would come out the way we play. We'd kind of, if we were scared or nervous about a situation, we'd play at the situation. We'd play yeah. at the audience, and then eventually, you come to be with them. You know. Was it having someone like Matt in the band that was so technically being able to like hone you guys in that you always knew that regardless of, of how much anxiety, cause I don't know from just meeting you, you don't seem like a person that has a lot of anxiety, but still, like you mentioned, there are shows that raise that. I just did two arenas opening for Burr and I, I couldn't, I, I could, I wow. could, I went from, I went from being, I'm going to kill it to I'm going to bomb to I'm going to kill it to just go have fun. And then once I hit that, like you said, the stress and the performance were so amplified, but it could, like, it could have been a comedy's even harder because you can let the instruments speak for you. Yeah. I've got to, I've got to stay present and stay loose. Cause if I'm uptight, it's not going to work, but 
you know, but to have when you're doing it in a band to have like, you know, it's a certain members, you know, were there shows that you you can remember? What was the one for that you remember? Not the whole band, but just you was probably ugh, like, like, oh, fuck. All right. This is it. God damn. All right. We got to fucking do it. Uh, nothing. I can't think of a specific show. Nothing's coming to mind right now in terms of a specific show. But I do know of those situations. And yeah, yeah having Matt, you know, tie your shoes while you're playing <laughs> is pretty good. Um, you know, in our early days, we'd have some train wrecks, you know, where you, you have a hard time hearing on stage. And most of the train wrecks originated from, you know, me or Hero. You're playing in some club and there isn't much, you know, the PA's Modern on the outward, yeah. being echoing. And you get lost. You just kind of like, you, you take one wrong turn we we had some we had some drummers back then where that might happen as well you know the drummer might just just miss a change and everyone's like was that me or was that him or is that him and you miss <laughs> just say a drummer misses a change and then you miss you stay where you think you are or you try to catch up and you go to where the drummer is and the drummer catches himself and comes back to where he's supposed to be yeah. and now everything just starts falling apart oh yeah that happened a few times in our early days um Either I make a wrong turn or Hero would, and get a drummer to make a wrong turn. Matt, like, almost never does. Uh, <laughs> He's Mr. Consistent. <laughs> there are a few times Chris did, mostly because it's, it's tough to juggle both singing and playing guitar, or worse, in our early days, he had to sing and play drums, which would, which would be really, really a tough That's thing insane. to do. I can't, yeah. I can't imagine anyone doing it, but you got, you got people like Chris and Dave Grohl and, you know, and Taylor Hawkins who have that ability and strength. So. Yeah. Yeah. So um, talking about, you mentioned it a few times, uh, you got to play with the MC five during the MC 50 anniversary. Uh, how did that come about? Uh, take us through that. I, I'd met Wayne a few times. The first time was in the nineties. Uh, Soundgarden. This is kind of cool. Soundgarden was doing some, we're putting our hands in cement, at some record store in Detroit. And I'm, the name is escaping me right now, but this is so cool. The, the promoter booked us, we were in town, the same day they booked the MC5. So the MC5 are coming to put their hands, the surviving members, I believe, I believe Rob Tyner had passed away recently. The surviving members came to put their hands in cement and Soundgarden was asked to come to the record store, put their hands in cement. Met uh, Dennis Thompson and Mike Davis and Wayne Kramer then, and Fred was at, Fred Sonic Smith was at the store. I don't believe I, I might have been a bit nervous to say hi to him, but three of those guys, you know, Mike, Dennis, and Wayne came to our show. Then after the show, Wayne came and sat in our dressing room. He goes, I hear a lot of us and what you guys do. Just watching you guys, listening to you guys, I see us. I was like, good, because there's a lot of what you guys did that I incorporated into my, my, my thinking about about rock and about my band. We exchanged numbers. He moved to Nashville. I didn't really, you know, call one of your heroes. I didn't really do that. But then we connected again at other shows. And I think he was doing, he did a, a tour of DTK, which were the three surviving members of the MC5, Thompson, Davis, and Kramer. And they did a tour with other singers. Uh, I think Lanigan, Mark Arm, uh, Evan Dando and the other guitarists 
playing with them and they're coming through Seattle and like a week before they came to Seattle, Mark and Wayne called me. Mark knew that the MC5 was Mark Arm. Mark knew that the MC5 was one of my favorite bands. And I'd mentioned that to Wayne before. And they were in a hotel room. They called me. So uh, we're doing this tour. We're going to be in town. And you want to come play some songs? Yes. I love <laughs> yeah, Again, the nerves just went up. Like, oh, <laughs> There's that bell curve. <laughs> and they wanted me to play in a couple songs. And then when I got there, they asked me to play on two or three other songs that I hadn't rehearsed. I was like, I don't know how to play those. Oh, it'll be easy. It's like, no, I don't know how to play those. <laughs> so I went up on stage and played a handful yeah, of yeah, songs. Yeah. And then they came through with a Tom Morello and Wayne who are both politically involved. It did a, they did a, what was that tour? Was it, God, it was, I can't remember if they called it the revolution tour or whatever, but they did a tour that was uh, politically oriented. Wayne was working with a group that he started called Jail Guitar Doors, you know, brings guitars to, to prisoners and, and helps teach music and stuff like that. And I believe that was on that tour. And Susan Silver, our longtime manager of Soundgarden, called me and Matt and Ben up and called us up and said, hey, would you guys like to do a few songs on this tour? Wayne was asking and Tom was asking. He's like, yeah. So we we got Tad from the band Tad, Tad, Tad Doyle, to come and uh, sing a couple Soundgarden songs, Spoon Man and Punt It Down and something else. And then we did Kick Out the Jams. And we got to play with those guys. Again, the same thing, great vibes all around. Met, met a bunch of the people who were on that tour. Wayne kept me in mind, and then after uh, the tragic, you know, events around our, our last tour, uh, Wayne decided to get something together to celebrate the 50th anniversary of Kick Out the Jams, and he was the, you know, he, at this point, he's one of two surviving members, and the, and the one who was interested in touring and, and promoting both a book he was working on and the anniversary of this classic influential album. He gets a band together with, you know, Marcus Durant and Zen, Zen Gorilla, Brendan Canty from Fugazi, and uh, uh, Doug Pinnock from King's X, myself. And they also had Matt Cameron fill in on some drum dates that Brendan couldn't make. And he called me and it was, you know, yeah, I was, just in a daze still, like, like a year, year after, you know, we lost Chris. Yeah. Wayne called and said, hey, I'm getting a band together. I think, think you'd be interested in playing guitar. We want to do some tours and maybe do some recording. I was like, yeah. But then again, the stress and nerves went up and the excitement yeah. went up and it kind of, it kind of kicked some, it kind of kicked some life back into me. Just the yeah. idea of playing with my heroes, playing with, one of my favorite bands, if not my favorite band. And there's a lot of weird irony in it, it because the tour was one of my favorite bands who was from Detroit, which of course where, where Soundgarden ended. And then the tour was going to culminate in Detroit. And it was all going to go there. And so we returned, returned, returned to Detroit, celebrate the 50th anniversary of their first album, you know, their first shows. The whole thing was really important and special and kind of got me this 
Oh my God. Yeah. Focus. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, I completely understand what you said about being in, in the haze and the funk and just down. And, and it's almost like, it's almost like the universe was telling to like pull you out of it by bringing I this. Totally into thought you. that exactly. Like, yeah. Totally, it's only what occurred to me. It's like, Holy shit. It's like, this is weird. There's, there's ironic, there's irony in it. And uh, definitely some weird poetic. Component. Oh, it's synchronistic for sure. Yeah. Oh my God. So what was, so what was that like? Just being like every night, was it just, you know, you're it glowing just, or. Yeah, it was, well, you know, I was still, yeah, I was, I was still, you know, pretty melancholy, but sure. the best hour and a half of every day was when I was on stage with those guys, you know? And, and then after that, it was just kind of like still kind of spaced out in my own, own head. Then we'd go up there, we'd play. It was just like, wow. And it was, it was, it was this different enthusiasm. It was fun. I enjoyed the band and everyone who was, was, was playing in it. I thought this, this is great. It's the best hour and a half of every day. Yeah. Is, is playing this show. I, and that's odd. Cause I didn't necessarily, I didn't necessarily feel that way about other, you know, tours or, I mean, I, there's always this weird component of like we talked about earlier, stress performance. Uh, and sometimes when you finish a gig, it was a bit of a, a relief kind of just relaxed, came down, crack a beer, but this was kind of fun while it was going on. And it might be that the MC five songs were easier to play than Soundgarden songs for me. You know, you think, <laughs> you think <laughs> I, mean, I, can, I can relax and just kind of, you know, yeah, dude, you can uh, play three or four chords fast. I mean, just and then it's like, oh, yeah, I'm just gonna keep my my crunch pedal on as loud as possible <laughs> and crunch it up. Plus, I love the songs. Um, yeah, it's like, hey, this is. It, it had that energy that I like about uh, just 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 slashing and loose. So I could do that. I could do the Fred Sonic Smith, just kind of play slashing and loose and. Wayne would do Wayne's thing, which is more, which is more uh, uh, proficient, and yeah. and it made a nice balance. It, it, it really tried to capture both the tightness and looseness of of the MC5, much like Soundgarden has that component. No. Yeah. What was your favorite MC5 song to play live? Like, what what was the one you got excited about when you saw it coming up on the set list? Oops. Certainly kick out the jams. For sure. That, that's, a, that's an easy one to say. Yeah. That's the easy, that's the go-to. Like, of course, all right, so we'll put that. I already kind of yeah. figured that was going to be up there. Yeah. But, like, what what else were you digging on? Rambling Rose, Call Me Animal, and uh, Baby Won't Ya. Uh, Baby Won't Ya off of High Time. It's, it's cool, stonesy, dark, but has a cool groove. But there, there were... Every song, most songs had some element or component that's just fun to kind of break out, you know. But those are ones where I looked down and go, all right, Call Me Animal's coming up. <laughs> and that was, <laughs> it was very fun to play. Um, trying to think of what else. Just those, in Sister Anne got to be fun to play, you know. Uh, it's, that's the first, I believe that's the first song on High Time. What do I, I don't remember. It, 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 it kicks off one of the sides. And, and that had a lot of, you know, that was definitely a lot of fun. There's certain riffs are just 
that just seemed second nature. You know, you pick up guitar and the MC5 captured a lot of those. Yeah. yeah no, I, 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 exactly I, I mean, I, I, it sucks. It's one of those things where it's like, and I don't know if they're going to go back on another tour. Do you know if they're ever going to try to do I something like that again? I think Wayne got another band together. I think, um, you know, we did some recording in Detroit uh, live. At, we recorded one of our shows at Third Man. And I think Wayne wrote a bunch of material with another singer and decided, hey, there's some stuff here. Maybe we should record it. And I think he got together with uh, Bob Ezra, you know, who did Kiss oh, yeah. the Boy and all those Alice Cooper records. We did, see, we toured with Alice Cooper in the UK and in Australia, New Zealand, uh, 2019, 2020. And so through that connection, Wayne connected with Bob Ezrin and started writing with this singer. And Bob said, hey, there, there could be, there's definitely a cool record here. Um, so Wayne recruited a new, since he's working with a new singer and writing new stuff, he, re he recruited another band. I mean, he called, he asked me and Billy, Billy Gould from Faith No More, who played most of this tour. Originally, they got Doug Pinnock from uh, King's X, but Billy Gould from Faith No More did 90% did of, the, of the touring. Um, and he called Billy and I, and I think we were both down to make a record, but we could, it was in the middle of the pandemic, so we were both hesitant to commit to a tour. Yeah, and I think Brendan Canty, the drummer, is teaching film uh, somewhere in the D.C. area. I think Georgetown or something. Oh wow! Uh, so, so it's just you know. So at, at that point, when he's trying to find some commitment, he just got a new band together, and I think Steve Perkins from Jane's Addiction is drumming, which is I can see that. Yeah, I can see that. So, we had we had him on and he's he's got he's got that rock and roll spirit i could see him being yeah. able to play these songs yeah he's he's got he's definitely got a a, a great positive energy and very positive coming in his personality he's a great guy oh for sure so I think um they, i think they are playing some shows yeah i would love to get this right now i'm at that place in my in my life i go to concerts any night i don't have shows like i went to see mars volta last night i'm gonna go Why see not? him again tonight do you do you are you do you know cedric or omar yeah, we toured with them. They, they did two weeks with, I think it was two weeks with us in, uh, you know, after we reunited in 2010, it would have been, I'm trying to remember, I think King Animal's out. So sometime between 2012, 2014, we, we toured with them. Um, I'd met Omar a few times at, at some other shows, but I, I, he may not have, you know, I just said hi. But yeah. I think I talked to Cedric the most, but we're, I was, I was a fan of the Mars Volta and I turned, I remember turning Matt on it. He dug it. He just dug their drummer. And oh yeah, and it was John Theodore. Their, their elements, and then they reminded me of Santana and Hawkwind, and you know, a lot of other things. And it had this sort of the cool psychedelic element, you know, trippy and exploring things. And they and they had that kind of proficiency in in their musicianship as well as kind of this freedom. That's another term besides just chaos or wildness or freedom, or crazy or noise. It's freedom, you know, and. You know, freedom can be, you know, can be, can encompass those elements like chaos, noise, wildness. And I don't think I used the term noise before, but that's an important component of much of punk rock. I mean, the No New York movement in the late 70s, early 80s, you know, bands like uh, James White, the, the Contortions, Mars, and DNA, or then later Sonic Youth and, and Live Skull, 
the Swans. Hey, this is Steve Choi, host of the Musicians Guild podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Within the four walls of the Musicians Guild, we'll be discussing the habits, idiosyncrasies, experiences, and general psychology of my friends and peers, all involved with music in various capacities. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com. There's, there's definitely noise component to kick out the jams. And, and that may come from, a spe- I have to mention this, a special love that the guys in the MC5 had for free jazz. They were really, I mean, the, the, the guys in the studios, I mean, Iggy Pop, Rob Tyner, Wayne Craner, Fred Sonic Smith, they're listening to Sun Ra. They're listening yeah. to Coleman, Eric Dolphy, uh, um, Albert, Albert Eiler. And when I was a teenager, my best friend was, a, and he still is my best friend. He plays all reeds and saxes. He's listening to Sun Ra and Ornette Coleman, Albert Ayler, and Eric Dolphy. And he's turning me on to this. I'm like, oh, that's weird jazz shit. Listen to this. And I bring my Ramones record in and yeah. my Voidoids, my Dead Boys. He goes, oh, that's stupid punk rock shit. And that kept on going for you know, a couple of years. We we're turning each other on to shit and cutting each other's record collection down. We kind of yeah. met it like you know, we, we kind of agreed on, on like Rush, you know, or, or King Crimson. <laughs> yeah. We good? Yeah. Hold just a second. It's the HVAC things. I'm sorry. Yeah, we've had no air conditioning during this summer's heat wave. Oh, God. Oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah. I don't know what the weather's like in the summers in Seattle and in Washington. It's generally mild, but we had record dryness and heat this year. Yeah. And no AC. Oh, God. When I was in LA, I think I had that for like uh, for one apartment for about six months. And then I moved to another apartment that had like an in-unit thing and then that broke for two days and i had to podcast through that and so i would have like i remember i had wanda sykes over and we were podcasting in my place and i had windows open but it's just her and i just sweating profusely (laughs) like trying to talk about earth wind and fire (laughs) hey here's a good segue though what the ac being down and the summer of heat and dryness the kick out the jams was recorded on a halloween doesn't it sound like it's being played outdoors on the hottest fucking July yeah. in Detroit? It oh my sounds, god! It sounds steamy, humid, hot, and 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 outdoors. This is the vibe I get from that album. And to know that it was recorded in, indoors at, at the end of October in Detroit is a, is a different thing because that sound that that sounds like su- like heat and sunshine. That album. Oh, I, find, I I didn't even realize it was it was performed indoors. I know I have the notes, but it's like I once you started talking, I was like, "Fuck all the shit I got in front of me." And it's like it makes it sounds like it's this huge festival with just people. Like I can just imagine all like the fucking rockers just in like totally just shaking their ass off, tripping balls. That's what that's what I think. But I guess it's at the Grandy Ballroom indoors. But you I, mean, even but, Wayne took us to go see where that place was when we were in Detroit. But no, since I was like, every time I hear that album, since I was, you know, 15 or 16, it's hot outdoors. That's the vibe. It's Altamont. It's Altamont, but without the violence. You know what I mean? It's yeah. just like it's on a racetrack and they're just fucking they're going for it. I love that you brought up the Sun Ra thing. I love that you brought up the word uh, freedom wow. because man, that like, it even makes more sense now after listening to it and like to go back and, and hearing that they were into Sun Ra and Ornette Coleman because, that's, and that's, 
Good. That's where I was going before we were. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Before, before the knock at the door Fucking was back, dude. my best friend, jazz guy, sax guy, and, and me, punk rock guitar guy. I'm looking at the MC5 kick out the jams. I'm reading the back. I'm reading the credits. They're all MC5 songs. The last song, Starship. I'm looking at that. It says songwriting credits, Sun Ra, MC5. I'm like, what? Just Sun Ra and MC5. And I go and I show that to my buddy Brad. I go, looks like the MC5 wrote a song with Sun Ra or they're covering a Sun Ra song. And he looked and he goes, huh. And now our ridicule of each other's record collection takes on a whole new dimension. Yeah, dude. We put that song on and we listened to it over and over again. And Brad's like, yeah, that could be like a Sun Ra type thing. I'm like, whoa. And then we, there ends up being this great article in Musician Magazine in the late seventies. And I'd, I'd love to find it or find that, that, that issue in it. The article was called The Free Jazz Punk Rock Connection. And they talked about Lester Bowie, the Art Ensemble of Chicago. They talked about the Stooges and the MC5 and their affinity for Albert Eiler and Ornette Coleman and Sun Ra. They talked about Captain Beefheart and their background with jazz and their use of pseudonyms and how pseudonyms became a thing with the Sex Pistols, you know. And, you know, the, the Beefheart had Antenna Jimmy Stevens and Zuhorn Rollo and the Pistols had Johnny Rock and Sid Vicious and how that was a part of the culture and about how punk rock was informed by, by free jazz as much as it was by this, these, hard, these early proto-punk bands like the MC5 students. It, it was a really cool article drawing these things together. And now my best friend and I kind of look at each other and go, so we're not that far off, I guess. <laughs> I am you and you are me. <laughs> we are one. We're the egg people. <laughs> so so our, 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 our musical acumen just expands. He starts listening to punk rock records. I start listening to his jazz records. We kind of meet at the No New York thing, the contortions, James White, the Blacks, the you know, voidoids. And it, it was just a great, it was just, it was an epiphany to, to both see that the MC5 did, you know, that they, and it turned out they played shows of Sun Ra. We started finding, seeing pictures of these old posters that's, you know, where Sun Ra and the MC5 were playing together. So that connection and seeing that song in the back of Kick Out the Jams, along with just you know, finding that article in Musician Magazine, it was really opened a lot of stuff up and how I'd listen and appreciate, you know, rock music and what I was doing. I love it. I love it. We have a couple of Patreon questions that we're going to do the final rundown and get you out of here. This is, I could talk to you for hours, man. You rule, dude. You rule. You rule. And fuck your HVAC guy, dude. There's one. <laughs> dude, anybody listening, all the fans, I want, I want you to write uh, hashtag fuck HVAC guy. <laughs> when you tag us, okay? Fuck HVAC. Spell it however you want. Figure out your own way. I don't even... Was it like H V H V A C? To tell you the truth, those guys are doing... They're, they're doing their best. They're, I, I met those, those HVAC guys. Are great. I blame management for not coordinating these things well. Fuck HVAC. HVAC yeah, all right. Fuck HVAC management. Okay. Yeah, so that's... Hashtag fuck HVAC management. Just so we, we can clear it up. We're, we're for the proletariat. We're for the workers. Yes. It's the people in charge. Yeah. Always. Yeah. Um, so this is a question from uh, our buddy Matt in Canada. 
uh, like are garage bands like the MC five alive and well? Are bands that are inspired or that are of, of the same mold as the MC five? Yeah. Yeah. That's what I think I'm getting from it. You know, there's still that component. You'll, you'll see that in indie rock and, and, and underground rock. It, it's, I think the, you know, punk rock is still out there, still influencing, you know, young musicians and people are still going to get in their garage. Usually the drummer's garage, because he has his kid all set up, right? Always, always. And the guitars go to the drummer's parents' house when they're out of town and, and they'll jam. And there's that combination of fun and ability and inability and unpredictability that all kind of comes together. And at that point, when you start liking it, that's what you got to keep doing. And that is, and you'll like it before you're good at it. So that's that's perfectly all right, as long as you're having fun and enjoying it. I think it'll constantly be banned like that, but they don't get too digital and too far into sampling, which nothing wrong with that, just some cool shit. Yeah, not at all. Sampling and digital stuff, brilliant stuff. No, not at all. I completely agree, but I love that you said the thing about the drummer. It's like <laughs> we went to Tassos's house. He had it set up. He's, he was Greek. His mom would be like, I feed everybody. So we'd always go there. We'd eat our asses off and then we'd jam for three and a half hours. Um, all right, let's do the rundown and then we'll get you out of here. All right. So we ask these questions to everybody. Uh, what's your favorite song on this record? Kick out the, uh, on the, the kick out jam. Oh, uh, kick out the jams. Yeah. God, you know, that that thing that thing kind of morphs over the years, but I, it probably has to be "Kick Out the Jams." And if you ask me, at a different year, it might have been your know, "Rambling Rose" yeah. or, or "Rocket Reducer." I just think I just think "Kick Out the Jam." Look, this the whole record's brilliant, but but "Kick Out the Jams" is a song that just you know it has so much meaning. There's so much power behind it and i think it's also the fact that it was one of the first songs to say fuck and it's like it's a groundbreaking song that that is one of the main reasons we're talking about this record yes it is one of the first songs to do that but it's that's a good point too i think the whole album is like says fuck and there's something about just about that energy and about the fact that it doesn't it doesn't abide by the rules um even the rules of (laughs) <laughs> of a uh, three chord musicianship it kind of you know kind of skirts that too the whole thing kind of says fuck it's standing on stage and flipping off the world it's, it's something cool about that yeah very cool very cool is there any on okay and that song i usually say what song do you dislike was there any songs on this record that you skip over that just don't really get you you know for years i skipped over the sun Ra one because it was it was lengthy <laughs> and i it, yeah there's, there's parts i didn't get i was a teenage kid with a guitar um, I'll listen to it much more these days. Uh, you know, another song off that album that's super fun to play is I Want You Right Now. It's just these three powerful chords. It's kind of heavy and it's it's kind of fun to play because it, it's just bashing the guitar and bending notes. And, and so th- that's a good one too. But I think... Yeah, I, I think for a long time I'd, I'd skip over the MC5 one. It's like, eh, that sounds like shit. But <laughs> I, you know, it's, I don't really, I think this is, I don't, you know, when you're talking about a studio record, that's one thing because then you'd be like, all right, well, I like these four. They, they loaded it up like this. Like, this is a, 
this is an event. This feels like you're listening to a moment in time. And I, I feel all of it is one piece, even though, it, you know, this, it, the song ends and the next one starts. It's not like there's a full concert at certain points, but it's, it, it's something that I don't think you want to skip over it. It's like, you have to just listen, put it on at the beginning and let it ride. You yeah. know what I mean? And that's why I dig it. Um, you, all right. you are right. Yeah. All right. Now I ask this to everybody. Uh, it's a two part question. Uh, one can you fuck to this record? And two, if you have to pull out one song to add to your sex playlist, what song are you pulling out? I don't know if I ever had a girlfriend who liked this record. So <laughs> that, that'd be kind of abusive, wouldn't it? Put this record on. It's not, it's, it's, give it's, the, like, it's, the black light. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This, um, isn't a, this isn't making love. This is a fucking record. If you're going to have to do anything, you got to fuck to it. And she's got to be, no, you, you, she's got to be down, down. I don't think I'm that assaulted. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, maybe I want you right now off of this record. I would say that too. I don't think it's a fuckable album, but I would pull out I Want You Right Now. And then and then the last question is, what would be your elevator pitch to get somebody to listen to this album? Your record collection's too clean. This is, <laughs> this is rock and roll. Stop listening to what you think will make your mom happy. <laughs> dude, that rules your teacher happy yeah dude yeah you're right you're right you're 100% right dude you rule uh promote away anything you want to promote anything you got coming up that you want us to do you want everybody to know about you know uh Matt and Chris Novoselich and I have been Matt Cameron Chris Novoselich and I have been playing uh with this project called the third secret and it involves a singer named uh Julian Ray and Guitarist Bubba Dupree, who was uh, the guitarist of a great, you know, seminal hardcore band from DC called Void. Uh, if you ever have a chance, listen to the Void, the Split Faith Void album that came out, I believe, in '82 or '83. And Bubba has been—he lives out here in Seattle. Been playing with Matt and Chris and I and Jillian, and and we get together once in a while and, and go over, write some songs, and do some recording, and and. Chris released, just self-released, no promotion, no manager, no record label. Uh, just put it out there for streaming. So if you were to Google a third secret, you might find some, you'll find it streaming and there might be some videos out there that we shot that's nice that's streaming as well. And that's, that's that, like it's completely, it's like a no record industry record. You know? I love it. I love it. I love it. I'm going to check it out as soon as we're done with this. Uh, Kim, thank you. Thank you thank again you. for coming on, man. I appreciate it. What I tell you, what I tell you, the one and only Kim Thiel. Uh, follow, he doesn't really have social media, so follow Soundgarden at Soundgarden on all social website, soundgardenworld.com, and check out the various expanded album reissues and compilations from Universal Music Enterprises. Listener shout out, Maria, I love you in San Diego. I think you're still in San Diego, but I'm just giving you the shout. For new music, we have got this Swedish garage rock band, The Helicopters. You're listening to their song, Tin Foil Soldier, off their new record, Eyes of Oblivion. Uh, if you want your song played on our website or on the show, send us your song to 500podcasts at gmail.com. Right next week, Velvet Underground Week. I don't know who the guest is, but it should be a good one. We're doing White Light, White Heat. Dig it.
This is Tuck from Fit for a King, an off-road minivan. Every week I bring you fun interviews alongside your favorite metalcore entertainers with my new podcast, Get Tucked. Join me every Monday with bands like Counterparts, Crystal Lake, like Mods to Flames, and many more. We play unsigned and undiscovered bands, deep dive into each artist's history, and of course provide the greatest breakdowns in current metalcore. Tune in to Get Tucked every Monday, out now through Sound Talent Media. One Hit Thunder is a podcast where we both celebrate and have a good laugh about bands and artists that had just one hit that we all know. Each week, we're joined by a guest from the world of music or comedy to learn more than you ever thought you would about some songs that you can't forget. And we decide if they brought the One Hit Thunder or were nothing more than a one hit blunder. Look, if you listen to the show, you're probably going to laugh and I guarantee you're going to crush next time the bar has music trivia. Tag Team, Jane Child, Meredith Brooks, Looking Glass, Sean Mullins, Eiffel 65, EMF, Crash Test Dummies, Crazy Town, Chumbawamba. We have hundreds of episodes in our back catalog and a new episode each week. So pass the duchy, make sure you're connected, and subscribe to One Hit Thunder wherever you get your pods. Next Chapter Podcasts.